Hey Natalie, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you join Partner Ocean Strategy Podcast. Thank you for joining me today. Hi Logan, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, and、uh, I'm very excited for this this podcast. Congratulations! Thank you very much. Lovely to hear that. Where are you hunkered down today? Today I am in San Francisco.、Um, it is a very beautiful weather outside.、Um, my my work typically takes me on a lot of travel, so I think this is the longest I've actually been in the city for the last three weeks. <laughs> is weather is treating you well in San Francisco at the moment? Absolutely, absolutely. I、uh, am an East Coaster,、uh, a Canadian East Coaster at heart. So right now everybody is、uh, piled up in a lot of snow. So I'm、mm. very fortunate、uh, that that I get hiking、uh, mild temperatures of San Francisco here this week. <laughs> I envy you. I envy you, Natalie.、Um, I'm in the UK, not compared to cold weather in Canada, but、um, uh, I could use a little bit of warming session. So let's get warmed up a bit before we get started. Okay. So、Great. what we're gonna do is I'm going to ask you five rapid questions. You answer them. Without taking a second, right? So you just go answer. Do you want to have a practice? <laughs> no, I think this is this is good if we're going to be spontaneous about it. Okay. You can, you can either see I'm I'm either very quick witted or、uh, I need more coffee because it's morning time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me go then. What is your favorite food? Favorite food would be top of mind.、Uh, Because I'm Vietnamese, I'm gonna have to say pho.、Oh. Staple. It's 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 basic. It's staple. It reminds me of my grandma. Oh, nice! But it has to be、okay. spicy. <laughs> has to be spicy. Okay. Has to be spicy. This,、uh, shuriracha would work. No, like I'm talking Carolina Reapers, like scorpion peppers.、Um, oh.、Yeah. Okay. <laughs> How often do you change your hair color? Oh, how often?、Um, usually, it would be once a quarter, so once every three months.、Uh, but prior to this, I actually had to leave it for a pretty long time due to a girlfriend's、uh, wedding.、Uh, but now that the wedding is over, you'll be seeing me in very vibrant co-、uh, colors for 2024 and beyond. Nice. It's it's really good on you. Perfect. <laughs> you. What is your favorite company in the world? Ooh, my mother's tailoring shop. <laughs> Oh, because、okay. she is my favorite human in the world, and、uh, you know she's in her seventies now. She's please.、Uh, I hope she doesn't. I hope she hears this, and she's proud that she's she's in her seventies and just started a new tailoring business and alteration business. So she works extremely hard,、um, and I, you know, she's she's my inspiration and my、mm. mentor, and、um, you know, I, I hope to be as fit. And as hardworking as she is、uh, at that, you know, at that age,、um, so I would have to say her company and all the companies that she's、uh, been CEO of. Oh, I love that! I love the story. <laughs> I love the answer. That's great. If you are not being in a partnership or channel sales world, what would you do? Top of mind, I would say something on the creative side. You know, if I.、Um, If the creative, if the creative industry can support me as much as the sales industry, I would say somewhere along the lines of being a yoga teacher or、mm. a dance instructor. Okay. Because I used to dance and and teach yoga. <laughs> nice, nice. Okay. Last one. You have to be really, really quick. Okay.、Uh, on your answer. Okay. 
What's the name of your favorite podcaster? Loving you. Oh, I love that. I absolutely love that. That absolutely <laughs> warmed my heart a bit. So um, it, it works. This warm obsession. You're fantastic. Totally works. You're fantastic, and you know I think you're you're a great conversationalist. And the podcast, I feel like it's it's a really great fit for you. Um, you're creative. You're ingenious, and I just love listening to you talk. And I love conversing with you. So top of my list. Thank you so much. It was a warm obsession for my guest, but actually <laughs> because of you, Natalie, uh, you warmed my heart a bit. Uh, so love that. Uh, thank you for that. Let's get dive in. Could you share a bit about your background and how you found yourself in this partnership world? Yeah, um, interesting trajectory. Um, you know, I think when you grow up in in school and you're you're studying, um, not too sure how many people say like, "I want to do channel partnerships when I grow <laughs> up." Um, but it's definitely a skill that you develop over the years. Um, you know, I myself, um, I actually have a science background. Uh, started off in pharmaceutical sales. Um, you know, I, I worked in hospitality, so on and so forth. I put myself through school, became a dance teacher. I uh, put myself through school, and I realized that you know, I'm I'm extroverted in the sense of I I love talking to people. I love learning mm. about you know uh, their business, and I love being able to think strategically to be able to help them grow their business. Um, so I was in pharmaceutical sales. I uh, did a lot of direct sales in my lifetime. Um, more more years than I care to admit. And, uh, and then when, um, a company, a med, a medical, you know, a med tech company that I worked for, uh, decided that they wanted to expand their direct sales business into channels, um, I took on that role and realized that it was actually a really good fit for me. Um, when you're doing direct sales, you're dealing, you know, B2C or B2B, uh, it's a lot of lift. It is a lot of work, um, for, I would say somewhat the same reward. Um, discovering channel partnerships over the last, um, you know, decade, coming to realize that you can actually expand your network um, and be that accelerator um, by leveraging channel partnerships, you know, such as like the distributor reseller network and ISVs and GSIs or even like a referral network. Um, so you're able to be that, um, that optimizer for whichever company you're working at. Uh, you get to talk to a lot more people. And uh, it becomes a very personal uh, job in terms of like relationship building. Um, you still have the best of both worlds, uh, whereby you know you're still dealing with end customers or end clients, but then also really building a, a foundation for relationships within partnerships. So um, I really scaled that at the current company that I'm with. And um, wearing several hats uh, here at Unity, or worn several hats here at Unity when I had first started to uh, to my journey. Now, um, I've definitely discovered that that uh, my skills um, lie in um, channels and and being able to expand it. Um, yeah, ex expand the company business through through being the uh, force multiplier for the company. Mm. Wow. I would say um, we hire you, right, <laughs> Natalie? I I wonder. So you you've been in the both world, meeting people, the customers directly in direct sales roles, and also being in channel role most recently, right? Have you ever felt I want to go back to direct sales world? I mean, 
my brain is always going. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yes, of course, of course, the thought has crossed my mind. Uh, you know, to be able to step back into the direct sales world. Um, however, I think at this stage in my life, um, working in in channel partnerships is definitely more of a right fit for myself, uh, work life balance, um, and really what I want to get out of out of my career and, and uh, where I see myself in five to 10 years time. Um, I think that for me now, knowing that I'm investing time and actually building out and scaling partnerships. You're not, you're not dealing one-on-one with yourself and, you know, and and client, you're actually dealing with an organization and that organization has like another 20 sales reps that are dealing with customers. Right. So I think it's about being able to uh, level up your skill set to be able to sell through (laughs) channels uh, versus, you know, having the direct control of being able to sell directly to an end customer. So now I find like the challenge uh, that that I love um, is being able to take on sales, but via channel partners, because there's an added layer of complexity there, but it definitely keeps you on your toes and it keeps you learning. Um, and you're also, you know, meeting new people and there's always different characters out there to be able to, uh, to learn from. So um, it's definitely more of a, a fit for me partner roles that life is depending on someone else because we are not selling directly to the customers maybe a little bit different skill set is needed between the um, direct sales and the indirect sales as a channel sales or channel partnership people and you mentioned that a couple of the very important words like you know network and also like your relationship uh, which we're gonna dive more in uh, the later on but before we dive for our listeners who might be new to Unity, I mean, you and I know this company relatively well, uh, but um, could you give us a brief overview of the company? What does Unity do? Unity was actually forged in gaming. Um, started off as a gaming company designing, you know, a game engine. Uh, really, you know, within the gaming space, whereby it's a software that uh, developers and creators can use to create gaming content. I would say over the last decade, um, you know, I think different organizations have realized that the same product that you're using for game development can actually be used outside of gaming. So what that means is it's applicable for pretty much any end-to-end process or any end-to-end application that you're trying to design. So the editor or Unity software could be used for, you know, retail marketing, um, you know, creating uh, digital representations of anything. So like cities, airports, um, within manufacturing, um, you can use it for, you know, VR, AR training. So everything now is being built by this one software. The company itself also expanded as well greatly. So, you know, we have footprint and we have a consulting arm that actually creates all of these applications. We have, um, you know, a whole other side of the business that does all of the support. So anything that any game that you design can be helps and supported. Uh, we 
you know, through our, our, you know, success team, we actually have like a monetization side of unity as well. So if you think about people that are designing games, um, we teach you, you know, we, we have like a professional training arm of unity that can teach you how to use unity. And then you can go out and design your own game. And then there's another side of unity that teaches you how to monetize your game and actually how to, you know, teach you how to create revenue from your games. And so that's just on the gaming side of the house on the industry of the side of the house you know we have um these digital twin projects and all these applications that we're building for cities and then we're training people on how to use uh use the software for, for industry so that they can actually go out and, and um, reinvest and contribute back to you know their regions or their economies um so in all i think it's so hard to say but unity actually does everything <laughs> um and it's like the one question that when people ask me like what is uni unity i i hesitate because we do so much and anything that you're envisioning whether it be on like a you know a ps5 console a gaming console or on your mobile phone or through any type of headset or even on like a webgl anything that you want to do any anything that you want to design can actually be almost practically almost made with with unity <laughs> all the missions you just mentioned what part of the mission you are working on right now? <laughs> presently, um, mm. presently, my hat, I actually lead our global um, ecosystem development practice at Unity. So essentially what that means is that um, I work with strategic partners that really that have deep relationships, for example, with decision makers, either in private or public sectors, um, or they have like, you know, really strong industry influence, um, or, you know, industry expertise that are really crucial in, you know, cultivating like a unity ecosystem. Um, so really what that means is that we're, uh, we're tackling regions, you know, to actually um, create a workforce that will be able to contribute or recontribute to society so that um, you know, people are kept within regions. So if you think about really basic example, if you think about an overseas foreign student coming to a different country um, and they you know, they're being educated, let's say, in Canada, and they want to learn about unity, they can actually go through, um, you know, a course in unity to be able to get certified. Uh, we can provide digital twin applications that are built in unity. And so in order for for this city or this region to retain talent, uh, we have to be able to create a workforce and create jobs. So it's all simultaneous, um, whereby we're creating the applications and we're creating the workforce through, um, you know, all the unity courses. So my, my role is uh, overlaid across all the different business units at unity. Um, so we're pulling in uh, various teams to be able to help build out these ecosystems. And really, at the end of the day, it's, you know, these regions or these countries that actually are, are, are benefiting off of it because everybody now is, you know, either trying to attract talent or retain talent. Um, and the solution here is to be able to do it uh, using Unity. Mm, interesting. Let's talk about a little bit the, the concept of the partner program you're running for your, your partner ecosystem and Unity. So in terms of industry or the type of business, uh, who are your partners currently in your ecosystems? 
Great question. Um, it's quite unique in that our, um, you know, very different than, you know, if you were going to talk about a, an IPP, you know, ideal partner profile for a distributor or a, you know, GSI system integrator, global system integrator. Um, so partner profiles, ideal partner profiles for the EDP practice, I would say would be people that actually have um, an extensive network um, with either CXOs at large organizations or, you know, decision makers within government or private or public sectors, anywhere where um, unity, unity sales reps, for example, wouldn't um, actually have contacts with or would not, you know, clients that we would typically not win on our own. So basically leveraging our, our ecosystem partners to be able to get us in at the very top level. Um, anybody that's in sales understands that, you know, generating leads and actually getting to the right decision makers could be, you know, a very long time. Um, I never negate the fact that SDR work, so sales development representatives, um, is the one that's like customer facing and the ones that work really hard and are like the pillars and the staple of any type of organization. Because if you don't generate leads uh, via marketing or whatever tools, then it's hard for people to sell things because you need to generate those leads. So with the ecosystem practice, we're leveraging people with really great uh, contacts and a really great Rolodex that can actually just get us in at the highest level. So therefore, it just expedites the sales cycle. And then once we get in at that level, we're able, you know, myself, um, I'm able to round up the right people at Unity, um, come out with the strategy, come out with the uh, the you know the return on investment, the economics, um, helping these regions. Uh, paint a vision as to how they they see their city or their country within five to 10 years time. Uh, you know, once we understand those challenges, we can actually reverse engineer that and be able to, um, you know, come up with a solution for them leveraging unity. And so all of that is actually driven and help help driven through our strategic partners that actually have those uh, contacts. Um, additionally, you know, with any um, sales company or any any company whatsoever, you know, you already have an existing book of business. Uh, so with through the ecosystem practice, we're actually uh, leveraging these uh, this network to be able to drive incremental revenue um, or revisit dormant accounts where we actually haven't you know gotten a lot of traction before due to reasons X Y and Z. Hmm. So sounds like if you have a ideal customer profile for your unity business and there are company or the people around the world who are already doing the business with those ideal profile of the customers right they mm -hmm. could be your ideal partner profile i understand that's good that makes sense i wonder though how do you find those partners how do you recruit the partners if if they have that good you know the the list of the customers that you might want to touch base on, right? Then uh, how do you start your relationship or even recruiting them? Excellent question. Um, I feel like I've been asked this very many times. Um, and it's definitely, I think at this point, not, not a luck of the draw. Um, it takes, and what I was just mentioning earlier about SDRs being, you know, pillars to any type of organization. I think within channels as well, when you talk about an ideal partner profile, it takes a lot of research. 
um, a lot of research. Number one, you need to understand what is your channel strategy? What is the company's strategy? Let's start there. What is the company's strategy for this year? What's their three-year plan? What's their five-year plan? What's their 10-year vision, right? 10 years is, is, you know, a little bit out there, but it's good to understand, like, in terms of, like, when you talk to leadership, like, where do you see this company in 10 years? Where do you see this company in five years? So that way, when you understand the company's vision, you can actually craft out, you know, your North Star for the year or three-year plan or five-year plan. So having said that, you know, if the company is really trying to target, let's say, emerging markets in developing countries, then you have to help identify, well, which regions, right? So if they say X, Y, Z region, then you know, okay, well, for, for me, for example, then I'll know to, to look out and search for uh, ecosystem partners within that specific region that have the right contacts that will be able to help grow unity, um, you know, at this in this city or in this country. Um, you also have to do a lot of research for myself personally, uh, because it is ecosystem development, which regions, you know, when you read that World Economic Forum, when you're tapped into Bloomberg, which regions are are being heavily invested? How's the economy growing? Where is where is uh, inflation happening? Is which countries are hitting a recession? What's the population of the country in trajectory within five to 10 years? Will this country have more population than this country? What is the age? What is the median age? What about job opportunities? So it's really studying the, the economy as a whole, aligning that with the company strategy and vision, and then being able to hone in and target people within that region or to have those contacts. Then it takes you know a lot of research and, and reading a lot reading a lot of biographies, uh, a lot of people that, that do a lot of writing. Um, I would say people that are really experienced in like delivering podcasts or uh, TED Talks or, or whatnot, um, you know, because those are the people that you know that will have a really great network that can actually get you introduced into the right people. Uh, once you've done all of that research, which takes a really long time, once you're able to do all that research and you actually make contact with those people, then you actually have to understand if it's actually the right fit. Because, you know, you can meet somebody and they have, you know, everything and all their current credentials and, you know, on paper, they look really great for you. Um, however, you know, upon meeting them, maybe they're not as, as interested as you hope they would be. Maybe you didn't sell the program properly. Uh, maybe they have 50 other things on their plate. So like, what are you, what are you competing with against their priorities? So then, and then I think at this point too, it's 2024. I think now that the workforce is, um, the, the uh, you know the younger generations are stepping into the, the workforce and there's a quite a big of a uh, a mind shift in in terms of how we do business now versus the 1990s for example um there has to be a lot of like relationship building and seeing you know like characteristically and, and your personalities is that going to be a right fit is this somebody that you're able to to work with is this somebody that you want to be able to recruit and more importantly is this somebody that you want to represent your brand right um i think you know uh we we downplay the marketing side or the marketing aspects of things but when we talk about channels channels is is a an external reflection of your company and of your product. And so you need to be able to recruit the right people um, to be able to represent your brand. So very long winded answer for you, but that's essentially the um, the ecosystem process um, that, that I run through every time I recruit a partner. Um, you know, people present 
partners to me all the time, but you know, it takes a couple of conversations to actually vet to see if it's a good uh, working relationship and work opportunity um, because you, you know, time is money and um, resources are, are limited. There's only 24 hours in a day. So if you're going to build the right channel partners, it has to be definitely, it, it must be imperative that you're investing your time in the partners that have that are that see the mutual um, benefits from from the partnership. That's amazing. When you meet with a new partner, let's say, it's not only you to meet them, because now they are taking you as a partner as well. So it's a it's not one way relationship. It's two way relationship, right? So you have to understand. Also, at the same time you have to be the right partner for them. What's the process? How do you pitch your offer? The benefit of being in the ecosystem of Unity, being a partner of Unity, how do you normally do that? First, I would start with, you know, talking about the company because mm. uh, aside aside from offering, you know, uh, my services as, as a partner manager, <laughs> um, you know, it starts with the company and being able to to properly articulate the the company's offerings, right? Um, because at the end of the day, I if I'm researching somebody, I see the value that they can deliver for, for Unity, but they need to understand the value that Unity as a company is delivering for them and how that fits into their narrative and how that fits into their their strategy and their five-year plan. Usually if it's if I'm working with individuals as ecosystem partners or if I'm working with different organizations as my ecosystem partners, their mission and their goals need to align with what Unity is doing. So in, in this case, Unity, uh, the you know my 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 company, well not my company, but the company I work for. Um, so just making sure that there's alignment there and making sure that they actually understand, um, you know, what's on offer, and you know what the sell is and what the narrative is. Um, so typically, when I when I work with ecosystem partners, everybody understands that we're we're going out and we're delivering a full ecosystem. So it's not like a siloed product. I'm not going out there and just selling software. I'm not going out there and just selling consulting or professional services. It actually is a full ecosystem narrative whereby we are going to deliver applications and, you know, learners um, are going to learn alongside Unity and we're going to implement and start, you know, um, adding courses and curriculums into schools. And so thereby we're closing like the loop on, you know, building out a Unity ecosystem and developing like the talent workforce and retaining talent. So specifically to this ecosystem practice, you know, that's the narrative. Um, and when we when we talk to partners, is does that align with what they're currently doing? Is this going to be an easy narrative for them to weave into their conversations with uh, end customers? If so, and if they do see that alignment, then you know it's um, it's a good indicator that they're going to be a good fit. Because you know, quite frankly, I get leads, you know, in inbound leads, for example, to for pe for people to want to join the ecosystem practice. However. They see the word ecosystem and they think it's flashy or, you know, they don't have a great network or they don't really understand Unity and they just want to, you know, sign on to Unity to have it as a, another logo on their website to say like, hey, we're part of the Unity ecosystem. But really that, you know, that like, it's great to have brand recognition and, you know, to be plastered all over every 
every single person's website um, because obviously that that helps get the brand out there. But I think in in this niche partnership that that I'm running, um, it's 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 very it needs to be very pointed, um, given given the scale uh, at which we're trying to get to, and then given the bandwidth that we have here as well. Do you have any case to? Uh be able to share that? Most recently, I can share the most recent case. Mm. Um, you know, I've been doing a lot of research in, in an emerging market that Unity wants to, to focus on in 2024. So number one, understanding the company's priorities and the regions that they want to be able to, to tackle. Um, so once I, I determined what that, you know, what the region was, um, you know, I, I flipped it around and kind of tried to explore the market itself to understand, you know, what the what the country's vision is. Are they more heavily focused in gaming? Are they more focused in digital twinning and industry? Um, and then also trying to figure out if we currently have any um, competitors in that region as well, right? So um, going into a different Going into an emerging market where Unity doesn't really have presence, we need to actually look at the, the region itself. Like, who are the decision makers? How, you know, how are um, our opportunities actually closed? Um, who are the major players? How long have they be, been in the region? Um, and so once you're able to craft and define, you know, what what that, what that, um, uh, criteria is. Then I, you know, did some research into who then are these organizations or even influencers, evangelists, or people that are, you know, um, uh, that have the great networks, you know, within this particular emerging emerging market tech market. Um, once I defined that, I was able to do a lot of LinkedIn research uh, to be able to track down the founder, the CEOs, CXOs, anybody that can get me to, you know, to to the right person. Uh, so I've connected with that person and that organization, explained what Unity does, explain, you know, got an understanding of, you know, their business, how their business works, um, you know, how, how, for example, like government funded opportunities work for, um, and then seeing how they fit into that process and how well they understand the process. Um, once that was determined, you know, we were able to team up Unity's vision where where there's like investment or where Unity wants to invest versus theirs as well, which countries kind of start a business plan essentially. Like I don't want to say it's like a full out business plan because we haven't really like sign them at this point, uh, but sitting down and, and kind of at a high level drafting out a business plan and seeing if there's like actual potential opportunities, if we can identify low hanging fruit to be able to tactical, tack, tack, tackle together, what resources would they need from Unity? Am I able to provide them with these resources? Um, because again, as a, as, a, as a partnership, you need to be able to invest just like the partner needs to invest. So, you know, seeing if we actually have the resources within that region to help support them and then seeing, you know, what type of resources and people they can actually dedicate towards unity. Once that's all, you know, agreed upon and defined and we've talked about margins and so on and so forth and everybody's really happy, you know, on paper financially with the support um, and you see the personalities as well, you know, like, is this, is this a company that I want to have represent unity in this region? Because we're just breaking to this region. If you 
sign a partner that's really good and a right fit for unity fit for the brand this is great because then we've attached and associated ourselves and affiliated ourselves with a very reputable person or organization um so you know once all of that has been hashed out everybody's happy uh then we'd actually go through the due diligence and all the paperwork and get them signed and get them onboarded and you know build build that relationship um face-to-face -face meetings are really great as well um and being able to um uh, be available, you know, a lot initially at first, because once when we all know when we sign partners, uh, the first couple of months of onboarding is, you know, a lot of handholding and until our partners are able to, to, to venture out on their own. Um, so yeah, I think this is for me, that's, that's one example of, um, how I've been able to recruit and, and sign the partners and, uh, been able to maintain the, the partnership. So, which has been very successful thus far. <laughs> that, that's fantastic, Natalie. Thank you for that. Because now I can see that your recruitment process is very hands-on. It almost sounds like you are headhunting somebody, right? So um, you research the market and the partner profile, I mean, potential partner's profile really, really well, even before you reach out to them. Some people think channel people doesn't do any cold email, but you just confirmed that you use LinkedIn a lot and uh, you reach out to them like very hands-on. It sounds like your recruitment process is very targeted. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think um, wearing the distributor reseller hat to managing GSIs and ISVs uh, to, you know, now moving to ecosystem development, I think I've worn Pretty much all the hats under channels um and i say that there's you know the nuances is very very different in the sense of you know um like in the reseller distributor model you're casting a wide net and you're thinking high volume if i can get as many resellers as part of my ecosystem we're just going to chance it and and this is how we're going to drive revenue through with a high volume of resellers or, you know, if a distributor has like their network of like thousands of, of resellers, this is how we're going to, to scale, uh, to scale, to scale the, the, the practice. Um, I think it works, you know, in, in some instances, it, it, it definitely works, um, especially in like the, when you're in like the distributor reseller wor world, you know, you have thousands of resellers If every reseller sold one product a day, you know, you've got 3000, 6,000 resellers selling your product. Amazing. That's, that is fantastic. Um, it's high, it's, you know, high volume transactions are great. Sales cycle is, is extremely low. Um, so that's more of the, the transactional like license sales, I would say. Um, GS, GSIs, ISVs, a lot more handholding. They need to understand the product. You need to recruit the right people that actually know how to use your product so they can build on top of it or, you know, incorporate it into their product and, and reselling. And then for ecosystem development, the sales cycles are like very long because we're working, if you, you know, we're working with government, we're working with RFPs, tenders, we're bidding on things, you know, where we're, we're getting, it's a larger amount of money, you know, the, the opportunity size is much larger. The sales cycle is much longer. Um, there's a lot more uh, consultative selling and strategic, uh, strategic selling 
um, involved in ecosystem development. Um, but because it actually leverages, you know, different, all these different components within a region. So you think about looping in a university, you're thinking about internships, you're thinking about all the local companies that are actually using Unity. Where do we place them for jobs afterwards? And then you have to think about, okay, well, then how are we going to help this region find funding for this. And so, you know, where are the grants? How are the opportunities? Who's going to write this? Is there a proposal writer? Who's the technical writer? So it's it's actually a, a larger scale type of um, practice, uh, but the reward at the end is really great because, uh, because the opportunity and the deal size is much larger. Yeah, that makes sense. So you almost propose the new need sometimes, right? Rather than um, here's our, you know, product license. How many, how many of them do you like to have? Um, you go hundred, you go thousand. It's not like that. And that is really helpful because some of my listeners are, you know, startup sales leaders who are still in a way struggling uh, to find the right product market fit. But at the same time, they want to develop more of the, the go-to-market way, they are thinking partner program is needed, but sometimes just going with the well-known name of the distributors and resellers are not really the way that works for them. I, I just wanted to add to that. Like, it, I think also the difference um, when you think about the different types of channel partner types within ecosystem development, because because it's very pointed and, and you're right, it's like headhunting. Um, it's because we're going out there and we're actually creating a customer versus I would say within like the distributor reseller network, someone or an end, end customer organization is going to a reseller distributor because they know they need a unity license because somebody's de developing on it or people went to school and know how to use unity. And you know, that's, that's their software of choice. So the customer is already there. They know that there's a need for it. So they're going, in and they're purchasing, you know, and acquiring these these licenses. GSIs, ISVs, if you find the, the right, um, you know, partners, they already know how to use Unity. Um, and, you know, so they're they're building either incorporating Unity into, into their software because they have a ton of Unity developers. Uh, GSIs, you know, they're 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 leveraging the Unity technology, adding their services to it as well. Um, in ecosystem development, we're we're leveraging you know, strategic partners um, to go into regions to be able to create the customer. So, you know, the city, for example, will say, hey, I've heard in 10 years time, digital twinning of a smart city is going to be the next thing. It's going to reduce, you know, it's going to be better for operational efficiency. Everybody is big on being net zero. So we hear that digital twinning is going to be the great thing. So the role of an ecosystem partner it's more or less coming in there and saying, hey, we know that you need this, but we're going to actually tell you here are the reasons why you need it and actually formulate the customer, like create the customer, create the narrative, understand what their challenges are so that we can actually deliver at Unity all of the pieces that are that's going to help this economy grow and lean into digital twinning so that they're at the forefront of this technology in 10 years time. This is why I stress understand understand companies visions your partner's vision and you know the end customer's vision so that you can drive for alignment there um and i think that's that you know that's what makes a really great practice it makes you know great recruiting and you're you're actually also identifying great customers that are good product you know good fit for your 
services, products and services. I love that you mentioned create a customer. I think that is such a difference, not just tapping into the potential buyer already exists in the market. It's almost like create a customer, which means create the new users, create the new market, right? Good reference, uh, I think, for my listeners who are starting this, you know, partner program in their business if they are startup. Yeah, I would say as well. I think like coming, you know, because I I've I've done the the channel business at startups, for examples, and then and then now at, at larger tech companies. And I would say for the startup for the startup market, I think the one thing and looking back like hindsight it's 2020 i worked at that company first in direct sales and then and then switching over to channels uh once the company got acquired um but i think now upon reflection channels is just so vital to the growth of a company and you know warranted you need to actually prove up their sales and you know that there's a right product fit for the market and so typically you'll start with direct sales but i would say like coming from from startup world like as soon as you can put together a channel to actually scale the business once you get that narrative and you actually understand the right product market fit you understand you know what the what your what the customer base is start that channel business as soon as you can because you want to start scaling like in tandem so that you're growing like the direct sales and the indirect sales strategy together because as soon as you you run direct sales and then you incorporate indirect sales like channel business later on there could be like friction between sales reps or you know the narrative is not aligned and so it's harder to drive for alignment when you know a channel business is started 10 years after a company's been around versus starting it when you're actually starting your your startup or you know you're you're still at the genesis of, of that point so life lessons. <laughs> that is such a great point. Many companies are thinking channel business is something that they can add on later, even though they are trying to make a product market fit. Why don't they start channel business earlier to define their market? Like you do create your new customer with your ecosystem partners. That's such a great point, Natalie. Hmm. Yeah, I think also because we like working working in software sales or like even even in product, right? Every product manager is looking for customer feedback, for example, to to help you know um, with bug fixes or creating a new product or updating their products. And so, being able to leverage channels in order to do that. Let's say you have like you know a reseller relationship and you have a really good you know. Uh, relationship with that reseller, you have access to an additional 20 sales reps from that company that can actually help, you know, drive, um, you know, drive conversations towards your, your product manager so that they can actually figure out, you know, and be boots on the ground to actually get in contact with end users. Um, so I think there's like definitely different ways of, of leveraging the channels, especially when um, at the early stages of building out a, a startup, not just obviously like for, for revenue and for sales, but then also if you're doing market research, for example, that's a really uh, good good opportunity to, to leverage these relationships for, uh, for market research, uh, for marketing as well. In a startup, you know, there's one or two marketing people that they can only do so much. 
when you lean into channels, you know, you have like an extended marketing team that can help you with the marketing that are doing the conferences. So you're now just reducing the cost of operations from your side and leaning it more into channels. And all of that is built through, you know, the right ideal partner profile, being able to develop those relationships and having those key relationships. In addition to having like, if you want to have direct sales reps, for sure, enterprise sales, if they've already figured out, you know, what the what the product is and how, you know, who the end customers are. And even if you can expand it and, and it's like a niche market, then then you know that you have you you can expand your channels now and, and leverage them and offload, you know, uh, operational costs over to the channel partners. That's a great point, and which is very much needed uh, for early stage of the business, like, you know, startups. After you recruit the right partner, how's your enablement process work? Reversing myself back a couple of years and wearing the reseller hat, uh, sales enablement really entailed like being very hands-on with the sales, uh, sales reps. Because I think at the end of the day, when you're coming from a reseller world, the organization has like a catalog of like 3000 products. What makes you different and what makes Unity different to be top of mind for them when they're going out and selling products, when they've been accustomed to selling Dell computers for the last 20 years, right? So, so how do you change that narrative? And it's really about sales enablement, but also developing that relationship, not just with like the the, your point of contact at the company, but with every single sales rep. So they're like, hey, I remember Natalie. I know she represents Unity. Somebody said the word real-time 3D. I'm going to pitch them Unity, but they need to know what Unity is. They need to know if Unity is actually the right product or if it's just they thought of real-time 3D and it triggered the word Unity, right? So they need to, we need to train the sales reps on from the resellers on what Unity is, understanding when it's the right fit, understanding what the customer profile is, and making sure that it's um, that you're top of mind and your company is top of mind. And I think now, you know, 2023, 2024, it's all about relationship building, right? Like, so you can just be another company if everyone's giving out the same margins and your product points are, are, you know, similar, then what separates you from your competitor for the channel partner to actually push your partner, uh, push your product over somebody else's. And it's really from the top down leadership at the company needs to say, Hey, sell unity, but the unity needs to come in and say, hi, do you remember us? This is what we're doing. This is the support that we're giving. This is the relationship that, that we have. Like, Go sell Unity. <laughs> so the relationship is key. Yesterday and tomorrow, we will still say it's people business. And you mentioned a couple of tactics there, like leadership alignment is really key. You have to align with the company's vision and the mission, and also the FaceTime, make them go sell. What else would you do? make the relationship better and stronger. What What is your secret sauce there, Natalie? Secret sauce? Well, I think at the beginning of this podcast, I had mentioned to you that um, in you know my journey from direct to channel sales um, and what I like about it, you know, it, it's um, I love understanding people um, and I love, you know, interacting with people, you know, taking that and applying it to relationships like reseller relationships, for example, and working with sales reps you're in sales because you want to make money. You're in sales because you're revenue driven. I don't know very many salespeople that are like, Hey, I'm in sales, but mm, 
not really, you know, motivated by targets or, or, or anything like that. I, I would say you're in sales because, you know, it's, 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 it's a motivator. So understanding salespeople's motivation, it could be, Hey, I'm, I'm motivated to sell because I want to buy a new car or I want to support my family, but really getting in touch with like the core essence of why people are doing what they're doing and building relationships that way. Because foundationally, I think as soon as you get more personal with people, they'll understand that, hey, you're not looking at me as just a dollar, a dollar figure, right? And I think in business, like we've been completely conditioned, like, man, over whenever they invented sales, I guess, that everybody's like a, a, a walking dollar sign, right? And now again, I think I've seen, I've been in the industry this long where I've seen that generational shift where, you know, people are more, you know, that want to stick to a company because they feel very valued and appreciated. And as soon as you start looking at people like their numbers or a castaway, the motivation for, for people to want to be able to like sincerely help you out uh, or even like drive for, for the right goals, it, it completely diminishes. So I think now reshaping the way that we approach sales, I, I find it's the same way stop looking at people like they're a dollar sign it'll come like the, the revenue will come but you need to actually build that foundation for success whether it be you know understanding people's motivations whether and if it is motivation if it's just money and they only want to talk about money that's completely fine too but really like taking the time to actually understand people because everybody is human and at the end of the day we're not we're not ai bots <laughs> um you know like like pushing for software sales or or you know whatever the case may be. It's like we're, we're human beings behind the phones, behind these emails. There are real people writing back to you. They have day-to-day -day problems and day-to-day -day struggles too. So as soon as you kind of uh, reframe the, that way of thinking, um, it just makes for, for better sales relationships. Being human being, right? So um, yeah. that's, yeah, that's, that's really great point. When partner program really works, there would be, like you said, motivation has to be there. And I also think that there would be this momentum to go together. And then the last piece of this M, because I like, you know, frameworks so much, you know that, Natalie. So my last M of this, you know, three M is monetization, <laughs> right? Even though we are talking about this is all about human people business, but still this is business and business relationship, right? So in a partner program, there has to be monetary value to share with uh, your partner. Some of my audience might feel that they wouldn't know where to start of this percentage of, you know, share or the back commission, whatever they have revenue share more than in, in their partner program. So sometimes the new partner managers, they got this challenge as that Logan, um, we are trying to have this new ecosystem partner. Is that normally 20%? Is that normally 25%? So I, I always say there is no normal and you should work out the, the right percentage for your ideal partner profile to really appreciate and then go, go work with you, right? I really like what you said here though, about being able to create your, you know, um, like your own backend margins and rebate program and all of that. Cause it's, it's not a one size fit all, which I think a lot. Now I, I see I see it in the industry where 
uh, you know, if somebody's trying to spin up like a new channel program, they'll see, they'll look into it and they'll look online and do some research like, hey, what is Red Hat doing? What's Autodesk's uh, channel partner program? Uh, like, what are their rebates? What are their margins? And trying to like, you know, mimic it or, or, or copy it. But it definitely is not like a one size fit all because every every software or every product or every organization is different. And it's really what you can financially, you know, be able to give away and still have profitable margins and be able to see your, uh, your organization grow. Um, and as, you know, as the organization grows, you know, either you give away more margins to be able to see it expand and really invest in that channel, um, or you dial it back. And now it's really about, you know, um, being able to like hone in on, on what you're doing and, and you're like beyond the scaling point. But I feel like not everybody's at that beyond scaling point. You're every company right now needs to, you know, wants to scale, especially if you're a startup, right? So um, completely uh, agree with you on on that and setting, setting, setting margins that are good, a good fit for your company. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Thanks, Natalie. Um, there are lots of more questions I want to ask, but um, I know we have almost the time. So um, for our listeners uh, in this Partner Ocean Strategy podcast, uh, considering like you know adopting a new partnership strategy or building a new partner program, especially uh, from the company uh, whose brand is not really um, you know out there, right? Um, what advice would you give them? as they you know, embark on their partnership journey, partner program journey, let's say. I would say starting off um, and typically coming from, you know, from the startup world, usually founders or CEOs are the evangelists. And, you know, it's, it's, their, it's their passion project, their baby, they've gotten off the ground. And CEOs and founders could be really great at one thing, doesn't make, make them great at something else. So keeping that in mind, when you lean into channels, I would say the first thing, first and foremost, is being a good channel leader. And if you don't have a good channel leader, find one <laughs> because leaders breed great reps, great partner managers and everything. I think now I've come to realize over the years that if you don't have a great driver and a great leader, you're not setting yourself up for success because people stick around because they have great managers, right? You could be selling candy, for example, but as long as you have a great leader and a great support system, that that will set the tone for for where you want your company to be at, the level, what you're striving for. A great leader will be able to provide you with a good sense of direction um, and being able to, to know where, where to pull in pieces and people to help build the channel business. So that's number one, leadership. Ensure that you have really great leadership, uh, that everybody is transparent, everybody is, is you know, there to help each other and you have the same strategic vision. Um, after that, I would say, if you're thinking about leaning into growing channels, what is the product that you're selling? Is it software? Is it hardware? Is it a service? Like, what are you actually selling? Evaluate that, figure out what the right market fit is, and then really do your research on the partners that you want to recruit for your ecosystem. Ensure that there is a good IPP there, um, partner profile uh, for your for your channel partners, and then go after them. And just remember that channels, um, depending on which channel partner type you're leading. Um, but I would say underlining everything is relationship based. I think where 
you know, we've gone through COVID, we have gone through, the world's gone through so much that, you know, now with like the new um, generations coming into sales and people retiring, I think now it's like really the time to lean into, to building better relationships with people. Um, and then I think after that, I think, you know, revenue is going to, going to flow if you have that, that foundation or, or those pillars. Definitely. I would ask you, what is the most important one word in, you know, building successful partner program? But I think I know the answer <laughs> relationship, um, but also, but also you emphasize having a good channel leader is important. Is there anything else that you want to add, um, you know, about the relationship? I mean, you and I have a great relationship, Logan. I'm, I'm really, um, thank you so much for, for having me on, on your podcast. Um, you know, I think foundationally, you and I have built a really great relationships, working relationship and outside of work relationship over the years. And, you know, it's something that I definitely value. Uh, it's carried over from work and, and, you know, now into the personal life. And, uh, you know, you're, you're a really good example of um, being a great leader. Um, so yeah, I think I, I, that's my last thing I'm going to leave here. So everybody listen to Logan's podcast. <laughs> oh, that's, that's fantastic. I, I, I have to make that as a, our, our zingle or something, our zingle <laughs> or something. So, um, you, you made me really happy today, Natalie, uh, from the beginning, you, you mentioned that my name as uh, your favorite podcaster, um, complete transparency. I didn't uh, ask this question before this, you know, podcast recording. It's really heartwarming, and I really appreciate. We've been working together. Uh, that was a great experience of my career, and also we are being in this relationship in this professional world. Really appreciate it. So thank you so much, Natalie. Um, what 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 are your next steps in in the partner world? Where should we find you? Um, physically, I will be in New Zealand and Australia this uh, coming weekend um, and nice. uh, for a couple weeks. And then my work will take me over to Asia, I would say, for like a month in March. And then after that, I'm not sure <laughs> wherever my partners take me. So lots of lo lots of business to be had uh, in that world. And it's really good when I get to travel with, with my partners as well, because you, you build that personal relationship as, as well. So it helps them, you know, motivate them and, and, uh, you kind of understand, uh, you know, pe people's lives and they become more than just a, a partner. So. Uh, I love that you, at least, you know, the destination where you go and <laughs> what would happen in there is, is all, all the surprise. So um, a little bit of surprise we needed. I, I wish you the best there. Thank you so much, Logan. You as well. Uh, good luck with this podcast. I know that it's going to be thriving. I can't wait to see it number one on my Spotify list. <laughs> Thanks again for having me. Thank you so much, Natalie. Chat soon. Bye.